So, um, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 right now. And uh, I've been going really slow through the, through the first part of this uh, on purpose, looking at a few words. We've just had two classes, I think, already in this book, and both of them have been focusing in on uh, one word, and, and the first word was, I think, church. What is the church that Paul was writing this letter to? Um, and then the other one had to do with, um, I guess, sanctifi- sanctification, or, or, or I called it, I think, called to be saints, but that was last week, and we're going to kind of do a similar thing this week where we're going to be looking at um, grace. Paul starts all of his letters by saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends, um, I think he ends all of his letters saying the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you or something similar to that. And um, so let me just read these first, uh, these verses here, verses 3 and 4. And then I guess I just really want to focus it. I don't think I'll get past, I'm sure I won't get past grace this this morning so um it says grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ i thank my god always concerning you for the grace of god which was given to you in christ jesus your translation might say given to you by uh christ jesus which is true but it's not what the word is in greek it's it's not it's not the word by it's um it's the word in, and um, and I think that's significant to Paul, and that's why I'm, I'm mentioning it here. I know that we talked about for those. Some of you were um, some of you were here with us when we did the start of the Colossians class. I mean, I've done this a bunch of times, but like just a year ago when I was starting the Colossians class, I remember going off on some tangents about about grace for a week or two and really kind of trying to talk about that. And I, you know, I could have just pointed you to those teachings that are online, but it would seem, um, I don't know, something would be wrong if I didn't say some things about grace. I, I just feel not only is grace like the, the everything, I mean, everything, if it's rightly understood is, is from grace and grace from grace. Not only that, but there's so much wrong, goofy, man-centered teaching about grace in the body of Christ. I almost just want to say some things just to just to have some stuff out there that's not so focused in the wrong man. Um, what is grace? Well... I, there's a lot of different ways you can describe it. I, I, um, I guess I like these days to, to describe it as the power of God, or the life of God, or the gift of God, issuing forth from Him as the fountain, as the source, to the human soul through Jesus Christ. That's That's one way to describe it. By by virtue of being joined to Christ and and by walking in His light, we experience this this perpetual giving of God 
to the human soul, this perpetual provision of his own life and power. Um, are you, maybe you could say it's maybe you could say it this way too. It's 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 um, God's gift of Christ to the soul of man, which is a constant river that flows. It's not just like he gave you this thing called grace and now you have it. It's this constant river that flows from God to the soul through the Son. Or maybe you could say it's a river that flows from the Father to the Son and he, and he puts you in the middle of the river so that you're partaking of that flow. But what it, what it amounts to is Christ made unto you all things. Christ given to the soul. Christ uh, being given to you, worked in you, starting with a death, a death that you could never die on your own. It's not not a natural death. It's not the death of the body. It's not any death you could accomplish through self-flagellation or any kind of... um, you know, harsh treatment of the body. It's a death that would have to be given to you that you don't even have, just like just like um, in all the types and shadows. It's a death that God provides for Himself for you to die in. And and so it's Christ. Grace has to do with Christ being made unto you everything that He is, and that begins with a death, uh, a death that works in you. And and then and then it can be a life that works in you, but but not it doesn't get it does, you don't experience life, the life of Christ being added on to the life that you already have or the life that you already know. That's not right. You don't really begin to know that. You, let me put it this way: you begin to know that life in the measure that you are knowing that death. You're conformed to His death and made partakers of His resurrection. But you're not, and you don't really experience resurrected life, except maybe tastes and invitations to it, perhaps in, in some ways. But you don't really walk in resurrection life further than you have been conformed to the death of Christ. The two kinds, the two seeds, don't blend together. The the natural Adamic life and the life, the resurrected life of Christ, they do not blend. They don't mix. The one, they're at enmity. They've always been at enmity with each other. They are enmity with one another, and the one displaces, crowds out, and crushes the other. Or the other displaces, crowds out, and crushes the one. That's that's what's happening. And so, the 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 life of Christ demands uh, the death of Christ, the the dying of the Lord Jesus to work in you. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death. The dying of Christ is always working in us, so that the life of Christ might also work in us. Second Second Corinthians uh, four. And there's there's just and forgive me if I get a little bit worked up about this. I just there's so many things I, I've especially recently have just heard from people that I think started on a good or had at some point in their in their hearts been on a good uh, track. I guess you could say but begun with some some true life and light and their heart being. Uh, there's a whole lot of grace teachers and grace, and, and I don't even know what that means. What's a grace? I mean, someone that just, I guess that means that they they focus their ministry on trying to describe what they think grace is. But what it comes out to is, is something that allows 
Adam to live in God's presence. That's their understanding of grace. And, and well, let's back up a little bit. If you ask, <clears throat> you know, you ask people what, what grace is, a very common definition is, is, is that grace is just you, you getting what you don't really deserve. And um, I remember I used to work at this homeless shelter when I, when I lived in uh, Kansas City. And I remember this guy that worked there came up to me, a Christian guy, and he said, I just heard the best definition of, of grace and mercy. He said, and, and uh, he said, grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And, and I remember thinking, oh, you know, give me a pen. I want to write that down. And that sounds nice. And, and there's truth in that statement but that still doesn't tell you what grace is. I mean, the fact that you definitely don't deserve grace, and that's true, that you don't deserve it, but that doesn't tell you what it is. And, and like those little, those little like jot-downable definitions that sound like there's little you know, platitudes or, or, or things, we, we jot them down and or we, we stick them in the, the margin of our Bible and, they, and, and like we think we know something because we... We learn that grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Uh, religious sound bites. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. But, 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 okay, you don't deserve grace. But what is it? And is it working in you? And do you, are you experiencing, are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, it, it, it is the light of Jesus Christ defining that grace in your heart? If not, you're defining it. You're defining what you what you don't deserve and what you think you're getting from God. You see what I'm saying? It's not that that those kind of definitions are always false. It's just that they're empty unless Christ is filling them up with His own meaning. And that's the problem, is that when Christ is not filling him up with his own understanding and meaning, then you can take the verses from the New Testament. Amazingly, you can do it. You can do it because we've done it for 2,000 years. We're really good at it. Well, even before 2,000 years. The Pharisees were doing it when Christ came. You can take the verses that speak of grace, and you can you can... Love those verses. You can claim those verses. You can talk about those verses, study those verses, and rejoice in those verses, and still have them all be pointing to the wrong reality in the wrong man. And that's a real problem. I'll tell you what grace isn't. Grace is not God letting your flesh be okay because he killed Jesus. He's not... Grace isn't a lowering of God's standard. Grace isn't a permitting of something less than what God desires and requires. See, that's... I, I, was, uh, I was made aware of a, <clears throat> uh, of a Facebook post that, that uh, someone uh, that... I don't think anyone of you know. He lives in a different country, but... Um, as someone that I had been talking to for years, put this Facebook post on, and, and I don't have an account, so I, I, I uh, spied on it from someone else's account. But um, he, he was basically saying he was talking about grace, and he was saying that it was a situation. It happened. It happened to have to do with pornography, but he was saying that like someone was asking him, you know, how, that, someone was telling this brother that. You know, he felt condemned about pornography, and and he th- this brother that 
wrote the post was explaining that he told him, you know, you know, the only reason you feel condemned about it is because you don't understand the grace of God and how great and powerful this grace is. And he said, in fact, go get all that you can. Go get all the pornographic material you can and just, you know, indulge in it for a day and then get rid of it and sit down and thank God for his incredible, you know, just to show you how reckless and awesome and powerful the grace of God is. Go ahead and indulge in it and then sit down and thank God for the grace that doesn't punish you for flesh or I don't know, whatever. And I just, I had to respond to that to him. And because that is not what grace is. That is so far from what grace is. Grace is not an excuse, a way to excuse or to ignore or to accept flesh or sin in the life of believers. Grace does not take sin lightly. It doesn't just push delete uh, I mean, that's there's there's truth in that. There's there's a there is a, a delete button involved in grace, but it's not. See, it's not it's not removing God's requirements from you so that you can just live your life. It's removing your life from you so that you can live in Christ. You see, grace doesn't wink at sin. It gives you the life of righteousness. It doesn't free you from condemnation so you can just live your life. It frees you from your life so that you can live by the righteous power and nature and light and life of Christ given to the soul. It always, grace works in you against the life of the flesh. We're not just supposed to you know, stop struggling and receive God's grace. And again, there's there's some truth in that, but not 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 this cheap, false, flesh-centered grace that 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 lets man continue to be man with a big delete button over everything that he made continue to do and live in and want and lust after and, 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 and abide in, that isn't Christ. That's not grace. That's, kind of, that's just not even remotely close to grace. Grace is the giving of Jesus Christ to your soul to not only be in you everything you could not be, but to work in you everything that God requires. Grace gives you Jesus Christ. And this, this kind of idea, this, this, I don't know, it's, it's a really common teaching out there. That grace, basically it's this, it's that grace lets me live. With all my filth and failures and my enmity with God and all my contrariness. And grace just makes it so that God won't, doesn't, can't do anything about it. Or he won't do it. That's the good news. Don't you know, folks, I mean, and I'm, I'm being facetious here. Don't you know the good news of grace it lets you just keep being you. No, it doesn't. Grace doesn't let you live. Grace lets you die so that Christ can live. And if you and, and, and if that's not happening, as someone just posted there, you're nullifying, you're setting aside the grace of God. That was Paul's understanding of grace. Here's grace. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I do not set aside, I do not nullify 
the grace of God. Grace, ca- yeah, grace causes us not to live. It's His life. It's His life living in us. It, it, and now it is unmerited. It, it, it does push delete on all of the sins of our flesh because it pushes delete on you. You see, it crucifies the believer together with his deeds. It crucifies the old man together with his lust. It doesn't just crucify the lusts or crucify the deeds and let you continue to live in the old man. It doesn't do that. It is an amazing unmerited gift, unmerited favor. That's another classic definition. Yes, it's unmerited favor, but what is it? It is the life, the light, the righteousness, the truth, the love of God streaming out of his own being given to you in order to put away the first and establish the second. In order to circumcise your soul from the body of death, the whole body of sin of death. And to form Christ in your soul. Because here's the thing that people don't like about, about grace. Grace gives you everything that God requires, everything that God loves, everything that God commanded under the law and people could not do. Grace gives it to you. But here's the, I don't want to say catch, because it's not like a, it's not a catch. It's just the, it's just the fact. Grace gives you everything that God requires, and yet it requires that you live by the grace that is given. Do you see what I'm saying? It gives you the life, the light, the truth, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. It gives you all that Christ is. And yet, the relationship requires, demands that you actually live by grace. That you live by the sufficiency of grace. That you stop living by the thing that grace rejects. The thing that grace cuts off. That you stop living by the flesh. See, you... You need to use the grace of God to become free from yourself. It's not given so that you can stay who you are and just somehow claim that to be accepted. That's not why grace was given. Grace was given so that you could actually lose your life and be found in Christ, not having a life of your own, not having a righteousness of your own. See, you have to, you're given grace as unmerited favor, okay? And yet, you better live by the grace. You not only live by the grace, you have to, Paul did everything by grace. He loved by grace. He prayed by grace. He did everything that he did by the grace of God. Why? Because if you're not doing those things by grace, then you're doing them all without grace. You're do- in other words, you're doing them all in and by the flesh. There's only two options. If you're not living by the power of the resurrected life of God that works in you more than you could ask or think, then you're living by another power. You're living by another spirit. You're living by another man. So, so again, the church says, you know, grace gives you all that God requires. You know, the law came through Moses. Boo. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Hooray. Hallelujah. But it, it, <laughs> it, rem- it demands that you live by what he gave you. It, you don't just put it in, your, in a napkin and put it in your pocket and then, and, and then you know, check on it every once in a while and make sure it's still there. That's the parable of the minas. 
you don't just dig it you know, in the, put it in the ground and dig it and find a safe place to hide it so that so that it just stays there so when the master who, who always comes back looking for more than he sowed always comes back looking for an increase uh, an increased measure of it he comes back looking he's the one who 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 plants and comes back to reap a harvest he comes back and all you have is the thing that he gave you tucked away in a napkin or buried under the ground that's the parable of the talents you see that's not what you do with grace you don't just take it in this little you know put it in this little filing cabinet in your heart or in your mind and say guess what i received grace did you? What's it doing in you? In, in the one that God calls the good and faithful servant, it was multiplying and growing and filling. Why did God give you grace? So you could say thanks and continue to walk in the flesh? So you could talk about grace and live by Adam's natural giftings? Is that why, you know, is that what God gave you grace for? Guys, be afraid tremble before the Lord because Paul who was the preacher of grace trembled before the Lord he preached grace and yet he trembled before the Lord at the thought of setting aside of nullifying the grace of God that should really strike you the very one who preached grace more than anyone else in the New Testament that talked about grace constantly. I mean, it's in there, uh, you know, in the Bible 150 times or so. In the New Testament, most of those are in the New Testament. And most of those are in the books of Paul. This man that preached grace, how did he live? Did he claim grace and live in the flesh? Are you kidding me? He was afraid that anything came out of his vessel... He was trembling, worried that they might even receive words of wisdom out of a natural man and not experience the grace of God. He, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, I, I wrote down this verse, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and power of God, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, in the grace of God. Paul was scared, lest his listeners receive and know and claim anything by his ministry except for the grace of God pouring out of his vessel and working in theirs. Now that, again, folks, that... Don't forget that we serve a great king. He gives you in his love and in his kindness. He pours out for you everything that you could never be and never do and never ever have in your own resources and yet the thing he gives you he requires to, to he requires it of you it's been like that from the very beginning god i mean go back to israel what what was happening in israel god was the one providing everything for them and yet god was see he gave them a law None of the other nations had it. It was a law of righteousness. It, it was a law of truth. It was a law that allowed a relationship with God. It was a law that allowed forgiveness of sin. It was a law that it allowed victory over the enemies and increase of the kingdom. It was a law that allowed all of that. And yet they had to, 
They didn't just see that's what the Pharisees they didn't they didn't keep the law. They didn't walk in the law. In fact, they couldn't walk in the law without grace. But that's what they thought. They thought that receiving the law made them something. And yet keeping the law is what made them something. We're the same way, but with grace. We think that receiving grace makes us something. And yet it's living by grace, loving by grace, seeing by grace, praying by grace, ministering by grace, thinking by grace. That makes you anything at all. You You are living the Christian life to the measure that you are living by the grace of God. Here, here Again, let me read this verse to you now. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for me. And that's, that's a constant thing too. I, and then he says, verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. If anything comes by the law, in other words, my attempts to keep the law or do the law of God, then Christ died in vain. I do not set aside, I do not nullify the grace of God. This is grace. Here's a great definition of grace. It is not I, but Christ living. Or what? Or you're setting aside, you're setting aside the grace of God. If you're still living, To the measure that you're still living. When you've been given the life of another. To that measure. Grace still needs to work in you. Grace still needs to conform you to the death of Christ. And to raise you up to walk in the newness of his life. Friends, I wonder, you know, the people that... The people that talk about this this slimy man-centered grace. Do you know who God is? Do you know that he is the great, loving, compassionate God that gives grace to all who ask, but then relates to them in that grace, by that grace, receiving the work and the worship that only comes out from that grace? Do you know that that's that's who we serve? Be so, let me say it to you strongly, be careful. Be so careful that you are worshiping and serving Him in in His own grace, by His own Spirit. Because our God is a consuming fire. Be careful. Be thoughtful about this. That you are worshiping God and serving Him in and by His Spirit and not outside of His Spirit and not outside of His grace. Be careful about that. Why? Because he's a consuming fire. Because even the flesh of a beast, if it touches the mountain of God, must be destroyed and consumed. Because any flesh that goes beyond the parameters that of his holiness, I'm, I'm referring back to the stories in Exodus 19 and 24. And this is the type and shadow. This is Mount Sinai. This isn't even the substance, Mount Zion. But still, any flesh that comes near him is consumed. Be very careful. Moses, go back down the mountain and warn them again not to approach in their flesh. In their flesh. Don't let them approach the mountain. Moses says, I already did tell them that. And I put boundary markers around the entire mountain. God says, go down and warn them again. That if so much as a beast... 
as so much as, as an animal wanders past those boundary markers, they're fried. He shakes and burns and consumes all that isn't of his own nature, all that isn't of his own life and source and spirit. He is a consuming fire. He won't allow it. He won't allow anything that doesn't come out from grace. He won't allow flesh to stand in his presence. Be quiet, flesh. Tremble before the Lord. And this is exactly, I'm going to read this chunk here from Hebrews chapter 12, because this is exactly what Paul is saying and how he can, and, and, uh, well, assuming he wrote Hebrews, I think he did, but I'm going to start reading this in Hebrews 12, 18. <clears throat> now listen to this. This is, this is written to, to, to bring you to fear. And, and when I say fear, I mean, I don't mean uh, panic. I, I, I mean living wide awake in the truth that everything is judged by the light, by the day of the Lord, by w- walking in that reality. Hebrews twelve eighteen. For you have not come to the shadow. Okay, that's my, my language, but it's the same thing. You have not come to the mountain that may be touched or that may be burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and to the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded quote, if so much as a beast touches the mountain it shall be Excuse me, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to the substance. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. In other words, you've come to something that's even greater than Mount Sinai. You've come to to the spiritual substance of all the pictures that were involved in that story. You've come to that now see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks for if they did not escape who refused him who spake on who spoke on earth much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth but now he has promised saying yet once more i shake not only the earth but also the heavens yet this and it says now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. One little note about translation here. Some uh, Bible translators have taken this word grace out, I think because they don't know what it means to serve God by grace. And um, and they've changed that word to gratitude. And if you have a Bible that, that um, has put the word gra- gratitude in there, please cross it out and write grace in the margin. That's not the word gratitude. It's the word grace. And the word gratitude is such a... So- you know, therefore, since since you've come to this God who is a flaming fire, whose kingdom destroys everything that can be shaken and only allows what cannot be shaken, which is of his own nature, therefore let us have gratitude so we can serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. 
for our God is a consuming fire. I mean, that just makes me sad. It makes me, I don't know. No, gratitude is not enough to not be consumed in that fire. Only grace, only the working of God's power in the human soul, only the forming of God's own Son, only that, only that which is of Him and, and by Him and for Him can stand in the fire with the Son of God, with the Son of Man. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Only that which, only that which is of Him, by Him, from Him, and for Him can stand there and not be consumed in that fire. It can be that living plant, that bush, that grows out from the Lord and, can, and does not, is not consumed by His fire. But if it's of any other nature, even of the wrong nature with gratitude, <laughs> even of Adam's nature with a lot of thanks and clapping and singing, look out. Because our God is a consuming fire. You see what he's saying here? Have grace. He gave you grace so that you could serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. He gave you grace so that grace would reign by his own nature in you. That grace would reign by righteousness. Do you see? That's what Paul says in Romans. Look at, look at Romans, if you have your Bible, look at Romans 5.20. The grace of God was given to reign in you. Again, people say grace and, and truth come through Jesus Christ. We say hooray, we say that's great, what an awesome gift. And, and we think of it like it's some kind of a, like, a, like grace is a pardon, or it's a, a free pass, or it's a get out of jail free card. It is, a, it is the only life and power and righteousness and spirit that God accepts. Grace was given to reign in you. Romans 5, 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness through a very particular nature unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, sin reigned and it reigned in its own nature. You know, doesn't doesn't sin think about how sin works in you, okay? Is sin given to you as this little thing in your pocket and it just is there if you check in with it? Or is it this thing that fills you up like leaven? It fills the whole loaf of bread. Is, is sin, does sin, does it, does it just sit there quietly in you and, and keep it, you know, like a little, I don't know, like a little treasure or something in your pocket or a little infection that doesn't spread? No, it, it, it spreads everywhere and it, and it, and it, it grows until sin governs every thought you have, every decision you make, every desire that comes across your mind, every aspiration and goal of the human heart. Aren't, does, isn't, doesn't sin govern all those things? When, when you're walking in sin, when you're living governed by sin, isn't, doesn't sin reign? In, in other words, here's what I'm trying to ask you. Doesn't sin reign by a nature in you? Doesn't it define your whole being, your whole life, your whole... That, that's what it does. Sin reigns by its own nature. What does grace do? Well, the true grace of God reigns. It reigns too. It reigns according to another nature. 
What's the nature by which grace reigns? Grace reigns through righteousness unto life. Christ, our grace, the nature of righteousness is Christ, your life. So Paul says in Romans 6, you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Well, what does that mean? The the carnal mind says, well, we don't have the outward law, so now we can just live our lives for God. Wrong answer. That's not true. We don't have the outward figures and shadows and commandments in the Mosaic law, but now we have the inward law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We have the law of grace. We have the law of the spirit. We have grace that must... Reign in us by its own nature, by righteousness. I hope that I hope that you're hearing this because grace is not it's not just a banner that you it's not an umbrella that protects you from from the indignation of God while you live in the flesh. It's not that. It's not just the status that you're under that put, makes God turn a blind eye to. That's not what grace is about. Grace reigns. And here's my question. For, and, and, and again, I'm not talking about works of the flesh here. I'm not talking, if you haven't, if you're new to this, you, you, you go listen to some of the other teachings on the website maybe first. I'm not talking about you living your best life now for Jesus. I'm not talking I'm talking about something that Christ does in you and works and wills in you. I'm talking about Christ himself being formed in you. I'm not talking about the religious attempts and and and, and desires of man to change our flesh and make it more like Christ. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about Christ being formed in you. I am talking about life, His life reigning in us. I'm talking about the increase of His government, the increase of His kingdom, knowing no bounds in your soul. I'm talking about the reign of grace. And not only is grace supposed to be how you live and how you pray and how you love, and how, it's supposed to be the only thing by which it's supposed to be sufficient. It's supposed to be your only sufficiency. In other words, it's not, here's another idea that's wrong in the body of Christ. It's like, I live, you know, wherever I can handle it, I I do, I live. But then when I'm really, you know, weak or feeling not able, that's when I need grace. You you need grace for the the smallest, slightest speck of righteousness, the smallest drop of anything that God would consider acceptable. You need grace for everything. You need grace to live. And not only that, God wants you to live by the sufficiency of His grace and not by anything else. I, I just have some verses here. I know I'm running, starting to run out of time here, but let, let, me, let me just read you some of this. Because Paul, most of these are Paul, some of these are Peter, I guess, but... Paul talks about grace, well, yeah, in, in Acts. He talks about, well, actually it talks about Apollos greatly helping those who had believed by grace. So, by grace they were believing. 
and by grace they were being in Acts 20 built up and given the inheritance among among those who were sanctified uh, Paul talks about our redemption being through grace the promise to the seed is, is inherited by grace he talks about teaching prophesying ministering and exhorting all by grace he talks about how they've been supplied by in grace with all utterance and knowledge that's later in this same book he talks about uh, by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all of them, the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God. Our Second Corinthians 6.1 We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Again, how do you receive the grace of God in vain? You receive it, and then you don't live in it, and live by it, and... and and, and relate in it, and love by it, and pray by it, and speak out from it, having all of your words seasoned by grace, or letting no unwholesome thing come out of your mouth, but only that which imparts grace to the hearers. Ephesians 4.29. Um, 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Grace is what does that in you. Ephesians 3.6 The Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in the, of his promise in the gospel through, I'm sorry, his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. There's a great definition for grace. The effective working of his power in your soul. Um, here's grace to preach to me who am less than the least of the saints this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of, of Christ don't preach without grace Colossians 3 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in sims, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord singing with grace I like this one too. First Timothy one thirteen. Although I was formerly Paul speaking here, formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. All of these things come out from grace. Second Timothy two You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's another one. Uh, Hebrews twelve fourteen. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. I love this one. First Peter one thirteen. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your expectation fully upon the grace that is being brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The grace that is being brought to you, that is being brought into your experience by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And some translations say that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. It's actually a present ongoing verb there, being brought to you in a literal translation. Oh man, there's so many. Um, one more, one more. 1 Peter 4.10 As each one has received a gift, minister it one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's what we're supposed to be ministering to one another. The measure of grace flowing in the vessel. That's what I hope. I hope that's the only thing that you ever receive from me. 
I hope you flush everything else you ever receive from me that isn't a living experience of grace. I really, truly do. Before the Lord, I hope that's all that you receive. And I hope that's all that I try to offer too. Because anything else that you could receive from me would just be flesh. And Paul, you know what? And again, I, I, I never, I never mean to be critical. I know that I say a lot of things that are critical of the of the of the church. I I don't mean to just sit there and be critical. But for Pete's sake, we have we talk about grace, but we only talk about grace as a means to get natural things. And grace doesn't even give. Grace isn't even for the giving of natural things. That's not even what grace gives. Grace doesn't give you money and cars and good grades and healthy kids. Grace gives you Christ. We're not even interested in a grace that doesn't give us something more than Christ. That doesn't even that won't even preach. You know what I'm saying? That's what people say. That that won't keep people tithing. That won't keep people filling the seats. That doesn't even interest us. Grace doesn't even... Go ahead, find me a place in the New Testament where the word grace is used with anything other than the giving of Jesus Christ and His life, power, truth, light, love to your soul. Find grace associated with anything other than God's giving of Christ to you. Because you're not going to find it. It's not there. Grace offers you one thing. And one time the Apostle Paul, was, was, he, he was having a real problem. I don't know what it was. It was serious enough. It was big enough that he was asking God for, for God to fix it. And, and he called it his thorn in the flesh. And you all know the story. He, he had a problem. And, and, and I'm sure it hurt because Paul had a really bad life. And, and, and there was one thing that was particularly bothering him more than the others. A thorn in his flesh. I mean, the guy was stoned and whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned. For, but there was something in the midst of all that that really was bothering him. And that, that, so, so whatever it was, it, 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 it's something he cried out to God for three times to be delivered from. And you know what God said? God said, no. God said, no. And why did God say no? Because grace was sufficient. Because grace was the only thing. Paul said, hey, in addition to all that you've given me in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, from Christ, and for the glory of Christ in my soul, could you also fix this other problem in my flesh, this, this messenger of Satan? Could you deal with that for me? And God says, no, actually, you know what? Grace is all you need. You know what? Grace is the only thing that I want you to find your sufficiency in. How about that? No, I, you know what, God, that, that, that's that's really true about me. I'm speaking for Paul here, uh, hypothetically. That's really true about me, except for this one area. I just really, could you just to give me grace plus a natural deliverance, or grace plus a natural healing, or great? And I'm not saying that God never does that stuff, but I'm saying that Paul was asking for it here. Paul was asking for grace plus a fix. And God said, you know what? Maybe if you were still a baby in Christ, Paul, I would do that. Maybe if you were a new believer, I would do that. Just to show you just how much I'm invested in your soul. But I want to tell you something. My grace is sufficient. My grace is all that you need. God gives you Christ. Christ 
works in you by grace and ministers that life and that gift to you by his own spirit. And there's nothing else that grace offers and there's nothing else that you need except for the grace of God. And man, try to preach that in most places and see how much you are resisted and because, and here's why, because we have established firmly, we have created, invented, established it so that it is now set in the mortar and rock of our man-made theologies. We have created a grace that exists for the benefit of the man that God rejects. We have created a grace that is for Adam. And Adam doesn't get grace. The grace of God offered to your soul is freedom from Adam. It's a death to that man. And it's life in another man. So, alright, I'll stop with that.